0: let's just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be family, to be brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, and to enjoy each other's company. Thank you that we can support and encourage, that we can build one another up, and that we can edify each other. And thank you as well for your words, for the opportunity for you to do all those things through us as we remember uh, the scriptures and what you have to teach us. So I pray you do that now this morning. Amen. So, I'm quite happy to see that my notes are still here, because I saw Jim this morning hovering, and I thought that I'll be just like Jim to steal my notes and to come up and I got bubkus. but thank you, you have not done that. (laughs) Um, So, some of you may remember that a few months ago, the last time I preached, uh, we looked at how God is the God who heals. But I've got a confession to make. I did not finish that sermon. I took about 30 minutes to get through one verse and make one point, And that's that God feels what you feel. So I'm going to continue with that. We're going to look through the last two verses of those three that we were delving into a few months ago. And hopefully I'll be able to finish it. So if you've got your Bible, open it up to the book of Hebrews. And it's chapter 4. And it's verses... 13, sorry, 14 to start off with, just as a recap as to what we looked at because it continues on. So the author to the Hebrews wrote, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So this is a brief recap. The last time we looked at this, we looked at how Jesus is our great high priest, how he is the better high priest than any other high priest. And he did what no other high priest has ever done or could ever do. So he sacrificed himself on the cross for us. He mediated between, or he is mediating between us and the Father, so he's presenting us to the Father and he's presenting the Father to us, what no one else could do because God is completely holy and righteous and all-powerful, but Jesus mediates. He comes in between and brings us to him. And he's ministering, ministering to us by bringing the Father's presence into our lives. So Jesus is the great high priest. He's sacrificed, he's mediating And he's ministering all for our benefit and all for God's glory. So, the next verse, I want to pick it up. It's verse 14. And the author said this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are. Yet... Without sin, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. I don't know if you've seen the film Good Will Hunting, starring Robin Williams and Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Kerry and I watched it a few weekends ago because Robin Williams was one of my most favorite actors and I've seen almost all of his films, but this one is one of the best. And if you don't know the premise, Will Hunting is a high school dropout, never finished his education. He's got a bum job that he works nine till five. He goes to his little broken down house on, you know, in the outskirts of this inner city where it's deprived, it's it's, uh, not well keeping. He's got a bunch of friends who are friends but not really friends, and he's just struggling in life. If you were to look at him, you'd think, what a loser. What a nobody, he's not gonna amount to anything, whether it's the way he looked or how he behaved, especially getting thrown in jail all the time. But the secret that Will Hunting had was that he was a genius. He was a mathematical genius in particular, but he knew all about literature, he knew all about poetry, he knew all about science, all the different arts. He was a child prodigy. And he's working as a janitor in MIT, which is a famous university in America. This is fictional, by the way, it's not real. Um, he's working as a, in MIT as a janitor, and he approaches a blackboard that one of the highest professors in mathematics has put up on there for one of his students to solve, and they get this prize or something or other. And he's mopping the floor, and he comes to the chalkboards, and he figures out the solution, bam, it's done. And he walks away and the professor sees it. He asks his student, in his students in his lecture hall, who did it? Come and get your prize, well done. This was very hard, even I struggled with it. And obviously no one confesses to it because no one did it. But then he catches Will Hunting solving another problem in the corridor where the blackboard is, another, equi- another equation. So. He brings him on board. He wants to to educate him. He wants to throw him into the field of mathematics so he can be this brilliant mind and he can be the leading professor in the field in the states or in the world. But Will's got problems. Will has got baggage. Will has got burdens. Will has got some serious stuff going on. Will was abused as a child and got the marks to prove it. Will struggles in his daily life with his attitude and with his behavior. He's self-destructive. He gets into fights. As I said, he gets into jail all the time. So the deal his parole officer makes with him, because he's just been put in jail, is you can go out of jail, but you have to see a counselor. Will agrees. Will goes through several counselors, either making the counselor run out of the office because he's hurt him, or saying, I'm not dealing with this guy, he's too tough a case, until Robin Williams' character comes along, Sean. Sean understands Will, Sean has experienced what Will has experienced, Sean's gone through the same traumas and trials. He was abused as a child as well when he was little, he struggled at school as well, he struggled in his family setting. Sean gets to his level and he sympathises with Will. Whereas all the other counselors were clinical, I'm gonna cover the objectives that I learned in university and I'm sure I'll fix this guy. Sean, Robin Williams' character, sits with him, holds his hand, put his arms over him and he gets to understand him. And there's this brilliant scene. I told Kerry when we were watching it, Kerry, a scene's gonna come up now where I'm gonna cry because it's so powerful. And he's being shown his uh, abusive pictures and Robin Williams said, I understand. None of this is your fault. I understand. I understand. It's not your fault. And they hug, they embrace because they connected with one another. Jesus understands you and me. Jesus sympathizes with you and me. Jesus connects with you and me. Jesus has felt our very weaknesses. Jesus is a better Sean in the Goodwill Hunting story. Jesus is a better counselor than any other counselor we can have. So just a few, of Jesus, a few examples of Jesus's struggles. If Jesus is to connect with us and be a better high priest, then Jesus needs to sympathize with what we go through daily, and Jesus did. You read through the gospel accounts, you'll see what Jesus went through. So Jesus was hungry, he was thirsty, he was tired, he was stressed, he was troubled, he was grieved, he was sorrowful, he was in pain, which is one of the key things people, most people remember about Jesus. He went through excruciating pain outwardly and inwardly, and he was tempted. You go through the Gospels and you can read account after account of Jesus feeling what humans feel putting on our flesh and experiencing our burdens and our baggage it says in the scriptures specifically two words Jesus wept he understood what humanity felt he put on human flesh and he got down and dirty with us humans and the struggles that we go through each and every day Jesus knows what you've been through and are going through now he's not and listen to this he's not aloof, he's not distant, and he is not disinterested in you. People have this picture that God is a transcendent, otherworldly, disinterested God. The first two are true. He is otherly and he is transcendent because he's God. If he wasn't those things, he wouldn't be God. But what makes him the great God, the good God, the God that's better than any other lowercase g God, is that God's understands us, that God feels the pain and the suffering that we go through. He gets us. Jesus cares for you. Just let that resonate. Sometimes we might not hear that too often, but listen, Jesus cares for you. He's not distant from you. He's not, oh, that's just another human. Oh, that's just, I can't even remember that person's name. He knows your name and he cares about you and what you go through as well as the other person also. So we can hear that, especially while Jesus was hungry. Well, that's obvious. Jesus was stressed. Well, I'm sure he was. Jesus was tired. Well, yeah, we all get tired. Jesus experienced pain. Oh, of course he did. But, you know, Jesus doesn't experience my specific situation he's never gone through what i've gone through so how can he really connect with me and just a few examples then jesus may never have been tempted to relapse into drugs and alcoholism that never happened to jesus but he was still tempted He experienced the raw core, what I call the raw core. He may not have been given to the drink, some people say. He may not have been struggling with life-controlling issues, but he still knew what it meant to be tempted. And just as a side note, being tempted is not sinning. Being tempted is not falling. Being tempted does not disappoint God. Being tempted is to be human. Being tempted is just to be how God has made you to be. We all have struggles. We all have difficulties. It's when we choose to give in to them and purposefully disobey God that it becomes something that hurts him, something he wants to change in us. But to be tempted itself is not a sin. Just remember that for some of us. I remember... For work, I tend to go to Harrogate once a year. We have this event on at work, and uh, we have volunteers that we need to run this conference. And then I think it was year before last, we got a email from a group called the Horizon Life Centre. The Horizon Life Centre, I never heard about it, so I don't expect any of you to, but it's connected to Teen Challenge, if you haven't heard of them either. Teen Challenge is based in Wales. Uh, The HQ is there's there's a teen challenge for men and a teen teen challenge for women, and it's a place for those who have struggled with life-controlling issues and addictions to go to. It's strict, I've heard, very disciplined, but it's structured in such a way that the volunteers there and the coordinators help these men and women to face their struggles, to overcome them, speak the truth of god's word into them it's a christian-based organization and it's just to get them the help that they need horizon life is what happens afterwards it's part two so we got an email and we popped over after we went to the um, conference center just to figure out the practicalities of our event we went there we had a chat and we were shown around all the different uh center facilities where they live because they live on site where they eat, their dining hall, uh, where they have leisure time. So they got their basketball courts, etc. Uh, and it's a place where they help them reintroduce them back into work. It's an amazing work. Look it up if you want to, if you're interested, Horizon Life Center. But I was just thinking about that and how you know, Jesus never went into a place like this. Jesus never had to um, volunteer himself that he needed, to, needed help with those issues. But just because Jesus never struggled with that in particularly doesn't mean he doesn't know what those of us who go through that problem feel deep down. He still knows how it can feel to be tempted into something else, to be taken away and distracted by something else. He knows the raw core of it. So Jesus may never have experienced the sorrow of a marriage breakdown or or loss of a child. He wasn't married. He never had any children, but he felt sorrow to the point of death he may not have gone through the specifics but he went through the experience but it was in here he knew what it meant to be grieved Jesus wept the scripture says Jesus may never have known stress with a high level job or the lack of a job but he was stressed to the level of sweating drops like blood He may not have known what it means to work a 12 to 16-hour job. Kerry and I, again, sounds like we watch loads of um, films and shows. And we do, I suppose, but we enjoy it. Um, We're watching Suits at the moment, which we thoroughly are enjoying. And we're just, like, blown away by the lifestyle. We assume they're truthfully reflecting. I'm sure a bit of it is imaginative. But these lawyers are punching 16-hour days, seven days a week, not giving up. Most of us here don't know what that feels like. Jesus doesn't quite know what that feels like, but that does not mean he wasn't stressed. Jesus may not have known the stress of trying to provide for a family by working long hours in the boardroom, in front of the computer or in the warehouse. Jesus may not have known the stress of trying to even find a job or keep a job, but he knows what it means to be stressed. I remember when I first moved here And uh, Alex and Dima Davidson kindly let me stay in a part of their house. For two years I was there. uh, And I was so green, I didn't even know the dishwasher was underneath the sink. So it was years later when we visited, I was like, there's a dishwasher underneath here. It was only me living there, so it wasn't a problem. I hadn't washed everything. But I went there, and I lived there for two years. I I remember I worked at Clark's. It was not even a part-time job. I think it was 12 hours a week, uh, like four-hour shifts, and and then that was it. And I was like man, this job is hard, (laughs) because I came from education, didn't know anything about hard work, Uh, and then I ended up going to a different place where I worked in an environment that was quite negative, and, and the customers were quite difficult, and it was constant bombardment Monday to Friday, quite frankly. Jesus may not have known anything like that, but he knew the raw core, he knew what it means to be stressed by something else to have pressure from something else and then lastly jesus may never have been tormented by illness or sickness he was the son of god of course that's life debilitating but he was tormented by the most excruciating pain on the cross not to mention god's righteous wrath as well god's just anger against disobedience and against that which is destructive and harmful to his world Jesus may not have known the illness you're going through or the pain you're going through in your body but he knows what it means to go through pain God may not have known the experience God may not have experienced the specifics of your situation but he has experienced the raw core as I've been saying He knows what it means to be abandoned, rejected, humiliated, and to have had a kind of loss in his life. Even if it didn't happen in the specific way that we experience in our 21st century Western lives, he still knows what it's like on the inside. Nothing you've experienced is outside of God's experience. Nothing you've experienced is outside of God's experience. That's why he can sympathize with you and with me. I just want to highlight this one as well, because I felt the Spirit just tell me that this is important for some people to listen to and to take on board, okay? Just, this is God's word, so just imagine he is speaking this to you now, okay? Your weakness, and you know what that is, is not an embarrassment to God. Your weakness is not an embarrassment to God. Your tears don't make God uncomfortable. Your tears don't make God uncomfortable. And lastly, your temptations do not make God ashamed of you. You know what your temptations are. It doesn't matter what you think about them. They don't make God ashamed of you. God's not embarrassed of you, he's not uncomfortable in your presence, and he's not ashamed of you in any way, shape, or form. God is a relational God, and he relates to you. God is a relational God, and he relates to you. He wants relationship between me and between you. He wants to know what it is to enjoy our company, and for us to enjoy his presence. He's not cold. He's not calculated. He's not like an ice man that has no feelings, no consideration. God is a God who feels, like the first sermon. God is a God who feels what you feel and knows what you go through. Okay, he's a God with a heartbeat. He's a God with that blood flows through him and his name is Jesus. We think of God as high up and not there. Well, Jesus is the express image of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And Jesus right now has a body that's been pained, a mind that's been scorched, a heart that's been broken, but he sits at the right hand of the father ministering to God and mediating for us. Helping us, praying for you and me right now is what Jesus is doing because he can, because he knows what you've been through and he's helping you get through the baggage and the burdens. You're not alone in what you're going through. Let me just read that verse again. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. I hope I've made that clear. God sympathizes with you. God is the better counselor and comforter. God knows what you're going through, which makes him qualified to be our high priest, to be the man who can go to God and say, I know what they've been through, I've experienced. By my power, I will help them and I will bring them to you, Father. And we come into the Father's presence. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, God is without sin. Jesus is without sin and he helps us overcome our sins. So the last verse, I thought this isn't a verse that I'm just going to talk about, although I am going to talk about it, but this is the application. The author to the Hebrews is a clever man. Okay, he's, he's given us the explanation. He's given us the information and he ends off this little thread of thought really with the application. So The authors said, Jesus is the high priest. He mediates, he ministers, and he sacrificed himself for you. And this is Jesus now, so you can go to God. He's given the sermon, if you will. The last verse then is the practicalities. It's the applications. What are you gonna do about it? This is what I encourage you to do about it. So verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace, here it is, to help in times of need. Allow nothing to hold you back from boldly approaching God. Don't allow any sense of shame, embarrassment, humiliation to stop you. From coming before who is your father, the God who is your father. He's not just God, he's your dad, he's your father, and he wants you to bring yourself, warts and all, into his presence because he helps in times of need, like the end of that verse says. Don't let your sin hold you back. Don't let your embarrassment hold you back. I'm going to read this. Don't let your discomfort hold you back. Don't let shame hold you back. Don't let your sense of failure or guilt hold you back. A lot of us struggle with that. Don't let comparison hold you back. Well, I'm not like him or her. I haven't had as good a life as that person. Surely they should be in God's presence before me. Let's get in line, people. British Christians, let's get in line. No, God wants us to run to him. God wants us. This picture has come to my mind. You know, when you are traveling and you're on, I don't know what these roads are called, but you go through like a toll road. Like we were abroad recently. We went through a toll road. You get these in Britain. Um, and then the road lines just end. And all you get is the chaos and madness of like wacky racers, which I love because I'm like, like trying to get into the front of everyone else. And it's just an open road. And you're going to try and you're going to get to the, the end, which is back into the, the lanes, the road lanes. God doesn't want us to get in line thinking, oh, he's better than me. She's done more than me. God has that open road where we're just putting the pedal to the metal and we're just getting ourselves into his presence as quickly as we want to, as quickly as we're able to, because that's what God wants from us. Don't let any of these steer you away from God's presence. So I know what you're thinking. It's bag and brick time bag and brick time. okay so i was thinking about this and there's an illustration that i've heard that i think doesn't quite express the point as well or as biblically as maybe it could do and it's the illustration i'll do it up to a certain point but then i'll change it it's the illustration of we've got our lives we've got our bags okay these are a part of our lives We've got our experiences, we've got our situations and our circumstances, whatever that might be. And as we go through our lives, we experience suffering and pain and bitterness and envy and sin, whatever that might be for you. And as we go through life experiencing these things, marriage breakdown or relationship, a poisonous relationship, we put them into our life, we bag them up, and we keep going through it. Or loss of a job, struggle in a high pressured job, lack of a job, lack of money to support your family. We take it, we put it in the bag of our life and we journey on. Difficulty with a child, loss of a child, difficulty at school, with teachers or bullies or hostile colleagues. Put it in there. Or just out and out disobedience in some area to God. I will not relent to God in that area of my life. I'm going to keep whatever it might be, okay? I'm not going to even bother giving examples. I don't want to pinpoint anything. It's just you know what you disagree with God on that hurts him and that he wants to change in your life. And we add it to the bag of life. We do it up. Okay, just like that. I didn't test how heavy these would be, so my wife might kill me if it's very heavy for my back. Oh, it is quite heavy, but that's all right. And what we do is, and you have to turn around, sorry, just to watch. What we do is we're carrying the baggage and the burdens of our lives, and we come to church... And the illustration stops there. We come to the church doors or the church house, wherever our church might meet. We come to the doors, okay? And as we enter church, we put the bags, baggage and the burdens down, which is good. We come in, we grab our chair, we say hello to our brothers and sisters in faith, we raise our hands, we raise our voices, We enjoy the Holy Spirit's gifts. We listen to the truth of the word. We're filled up with his power, his presence, his truth. All this is good and true. We feel feel unburdened. We feel unbaggaged. We feel lightened. But I think the illustration falls then because what we do is we say bye for another week or until our house group. We go to the exit of the church. We pick up our bag of burdens and baggages and we go back to life still bearing them but thinking well I've been filled up I'm now stronger to deal with them I'm going to go home and I'm going to deal with them better now but I think it doesn't quite finish there what we should do is we come to church we enter the doors we don't put the bag down instead we come into the presence of God together we open the bag up with complete transparency and authenticity, and whether it's in worship, whether it's at communion, whether it's at the beginning or the end, we open our lives up to God and we say, warts and all, I'm struggling with this. I don't want to forget about it and just enjoy your presence. I want to bring it to you. I want to bring the marriage breakup to you. I want to bring... The difficult job to you. I want to bring the sin to you. I want to bring the disability to you. I want to bring the thing that's weighing me down and stopping me from standing up straight and living victoriously or living in faith along the journey that is life. So we bring our baggage and our burdens into God's presence because we know we can trust him and he's faithful and he's reliable. It's because Jesus has experienced our weakness that he encourages us to come to him confidently. He understands and sympathizes with our lives and knows the best solution is himself. I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker, anything but that, because a motivational speaker will usually forget about Jesus and say, you can do this. You can't do what I just demonstrated there without Jesus. You come to Jesus and Jesus, your great high priest will help you. Christ offers mercy and grace to help in your temptations and daily struggles. He's interceding for you. He's praying about the specifics of your life that he may not have physically experienced, but he knows the raw core, that he knows the root. He knows the root. Approach God. Do it confidently and receive grace from him to help with your struggles. God feels what you feel and more. God's the God who feels more than any human could ever feel because he feels the weight of the world and more on his shoulders. Whereas we only feel our own weight. God feels what you feel and wants to help us in our battles by drawing us to himself. So, Let's be a church that comes together, does not leave our baggage and our burdens at the door and put on a facade or just want to enjoy God, but know we'll go back to the baggage and the burdens of life. Let's bring it in. Let's be family together. Let's be honest and open and say, I need help. This is what I'm going through. And let's bring each other to Jesus. Let's bring each other to Jesus. So just to wrap up the two-part sermon then. Let me just read it in full now that we've got an understanding and let's just apply it to our hearts. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every single respect has been tempted, has struggled, has had difficulties like we do, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne with each other that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. i Chris if we can just have communion at the end because I wanted some kind of ministry time create an opportunity to actually do this. So there's a table at the front, there's two tables at the back, there's, there's cup and there's bread. It's an opportunity to pray for each other. It's an opportunity to say to whoever you're with, hey, warts and all, this is what I'm going through and I want to be real. Can you help me or can you pray for me? Can you bring me to Jesus' throne and let's pray for grace and mercy for each other. Let's be family. So if we want to uh, do that, then let's go ahead and do that together. I don't know if the bands could come up at the same time, maybe. Yeah, thanks, Colin.